Welcome to the Old Chick Snowship Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Old Chick Snow Ship podcast. I am super, super excited and incredibly inspired by today's guest. Her name is Genevieve Paturo. Genevieve left her successful marketing career as a TV executive and picked up a pair of pajamas, built a nonprofit organization called the Pajama Program. And 10, what, 20 years later, now you are teaching people how to find their passions and change the course of their lives. Pretty much it, yes. Yeah, and she is the author of Purpose, Passion, and Pajamas, which you're going to hear me say this several times throughout our interview today. You have to read this book. Like, I literally couldn't put it down. It was so inspiring. So welcome, Genevieve. I'm so happy to have you here with us. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm excited. And I have to say, your podcast title is the best I have ever heard. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Because it's true. We do know some shit. (laughs) I want to jump into your story and specifically the part where you talk about kind of following this nudge from your heart that didn't quite make sense at the time. And, you know, down this path that has, well, got you to the stage of Oprah, which (laughs) pretty incredible, but not only that have changed thousands and thousands of lives along the way. But before we jump into your story, there is a quote here that I want to read from your book. I think it was, I got this where it says, I have learned that everything begins when we find our purpose in our lives. So many of us are reevaluating our paths because we want more fulfillment. We want the work we do and the people we do it with to make a difference in this world. And that statement really, really struck me because on my own reinvention journey, you know, like when my corporate career was kind of falling apart and I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, what is it that I want for my life? That was the statement. It's like, I just want to do something that feels really meaningful to me. Like I want to wake up excited and passionate every day about what lays Mm -hmm. in front of me. And so that statement from your book or that quote from your book was just like, I think everybody can resonate with that. So too, and, and as you mentioned, there was so much that didn't make sense at the beginning. And I know that that a lot of us, a lot of people I meet now through and since the pandemic feel that way. You know, all of a sudden, so much doesn't make sense. Why I made the decisions I made, how I got here, you know, and of course, in addition, how the world got here. Yeah. But we're looking to make sense at least over what we can be in control of. Yeah. And I think there's like a huge kind of reevaluation of life priorities happening. Like I see it happening around me. It certainly happened within me. And people, like you say, stated, just wanting life to be meaningful for them. Right. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So take us a little bit through your story of how you got this nudge to start the pajama program. I'm going to interject in places I know because it's a fascinating story. Sure, please interject anytime. I'm so glad it, it resonated with you and, and I hope it resonates with some of you listening. I always wanted to be a corporate girl. I don't know why. Looking back, I think because I was raised as a very traditional Italian child, first of four, meant a lot that I would lead the rest of my brothers and sister down the path that my parents wanted, traditional, get an education. My father came from Italy on the boat and he came here. His father brought him here. 
to have an American life, to have, you know, the, the education and the prosperity that he he'd hoped America would give his son. And that's where my father started to work toward. That's what he was working toward. And I think in getting married to my mom and raising us, he expected us to get an education, but also to keep those family values in our heart and to have children and of course, grandchildren. So when I felt restrained at that time by that pressure to do that, in my heart, I wanted to be free in the big city. I would watch Mary Tyler Moore show every Saturday night and want to be that woman who didn't have anything in her way, wanted to be a success and wanted to be in a man's world and prove she could you know, do something. Now I'm going to quote important, right? right? That's what I thought when I was growing up would be important to have to be a successful independent woman. So I followed that path and I love my family, love them to this day, you know, respect their, their values. But it wasn't until I was in my thirties and living this corporate workaholic life single that I heard a voice in me and it was, it was really, it it stopped me cold. And you can imagine when I tell you that a voice in me said to me in words I could hear, if this is the next 30 years of your life, is this enough? Uh Jennifer, that's when everything just came crashing down on me. And I felt like, what did I miss? I knew the answer was no. I didn't want to continue. It was crazy busy. I was caught up in the excitement and the money and things I could do and have. And the fact that I was doing this and I thought was so important. But it literally took me minutes to say, to count on my fingers. Okay, so I am successful in the eyes of the corporate world. I'm doing what I wanted to do or so I thought. I'm making money. I'm living on my own. But I'm alone. Mm. And where am I going to be in 30 years? And that was a voice that, you know, I still hear voices because I was open to it after that, but that shocked me. So like that part of your story so resonated with me as well too, because I did, I was very much like you, you know, thought my whole career was going to be corporate, right? I checked all the boxes, did all the right things, went to the right schools, (laughs) got the Mm -hmm. right jobs, worked my way up. And along the way, there would be this voice that would say to me, is this it? Is this what we're working so hard for? And I would push it aside because I'd be like, I don't have time for this. And plus I didn't know what to do with it. Right. And, you know, how did you know though, when that voice came up that it was like, not like some like little fleeting thought, like, how did you know to trust it? Well, first I had never heard a voice before. That was the first time. I think, you know, looking back, everything is looking back, right? Everything you can can connect the dots looking back, but not forward. Right. So it really shocked me and it it scared me because I knew it was coming from somewhere meaningful. I always knew in the back of my mind, there was something spiritual, you know, something religious, whatever you want to call it. You know, I called it both. That was part of me, but also bigger than me. And I believed without a doubt that that's where it was coming from, that something knew better than me, but it was also me telling me, me that I never heard before, but the me that I trusted. And because it took me minutes to realize, to sort of connect those dots as forward as I could possibly do it, I saw myself alone and and feeling empty and Mm. the end of my life or 30 years, which wouldn't hopefully be the end of my life, but in (laughs) that many decades ahead, it really made me consider what I had missed. And of course, my mind went right to family, 
although I had a great relationship with my family, I didn't have my own kids. I wasn't married. I didn't think to treasure those things for me personally. I didn't know the weight that it really obviously played on my heart. So when I decided, pray to God, there's a way for me to bring children into my life, you know, (laughs) at that point, I had an idea because of a news report I had seen about children. I live in New York. So in any city, you you hear that on the news and you read in the papers, sadly, awful things that happen to children who are neglected and abandoned. And I had seen something recently and I called the police and I said, where do you bring these children? Now, my brain was going a mile a minute. I don't know how that connected. Again, there's an other force in us uh, that's assisting us, yeah. assisting the human part of us. So I found myself calling the police, asking them, where do you bring these children? And they gave me the emergency shelters the numbers in or the the names in in my city. And I called and I thought I was going to be asking a simple question. Little did I know where it would end up, but I asked if I could come and read to children at night. Seemed, you know, possible and plausible. Mm -hmm. And pre 9-11, which was when this was in New York, I could do that pretty easily. They were very kind and welcoming, said, sure, come on in, you know, bring your favorite storybooks, whatever you want to read. And you can read to the children for an hour, you know, at night. And they wouldn't tell me for obvious reasons, what happened with these children, but they invited me in. So that's when I took action, I guess. And it was probably just a week or two between that aha moment and visiting the first shelter. And I was so excited. I was really excited. The whole thing was just so opposite my workday that I was shopping for children's books. I was trying to remember what books my mom read, but she wrote, she wrote a lot of them herself, just, you know, as a mom, not as a published author. So I was thinking, you know, can I make up a story? And my mind and my heart were filled with these feelings that were so foreign to me about this new, you know, project I had. And everything changed when I went in there in my business suit and they showed me to this floor in the shelter, this, this room in the shelter, which really had no seats or chairs for adults. And it was so bare and, you know, carpets were worn and they said, well, bring the children in. And because I couldn't sit anywhere, I sat on the floor and I took the books out of the bags and I put them out on the floor. And I saw those little faces at the door, you know, five minutes later, and, and they were so afraid and they were just so beautiful and their clothes were soiled and they looked like they'd been crying. And my mind was everywhere thinking what in the world has happened to these children. And it was an emergency shelter. So they had been brought there within 24 hours by police or social workers. This was not someplace where they were, you know, going to be living for six months. It was was a processing center, which is a horrible phrase. (laughs) So they sat with me on the floor and I read to them and they were silent and they were just staring at me, you know, and I had so many emotions. You know, I don't know how much or where, where, what question you want to ask me because I have so many emotions still now. remembering sitting there and I could, you know, and I can, I could talk to you for hours. So everything changed, you know, everything changed in that moment. I felt things I'd never felt and I felt more grounded than I'd ever felt before. Wow. So at this point that you're still in your corporate career, doing what you're doing, working a full day. And then at night, you're finding the sense of fulfillment through going to the shelters and reading to kids. It was all brain during the day and all heart with those kids. That's totally separate. I could feel it. I could feel my heart in the evening and I could feel my brain in overdrive during the day. Right. 
I mean, I, when I was reading that section of your book, I was like, I was tearing up in places because Mm -hmm. like, you know, the stories that you were talking about with the kids and, you know, putting names and faces to them, like it made it so real. And I can see how that would be an incredibly, like not only a heartfelt experience, but leave you kind of questioning the world and questioning your, your place in the world. It'd be like, what am I doing over here when there's this need over there? Exactly, Jennifer. Exactly. I I didn't know. Yeah. Ignorant. So then how did that transition into pajamas? Because I, I love this story, this part of your book as well, too. Sure. Well, week after week, I go to a few different shelters. Um, always the kids were different, but always the same, if you know what I mean. They, they yeah. were always in an awful situation before they were there. And one night, for some reason, after I read to the children, I asked if I could see where they were going to sleep at night and I followed the staff bringing them to another room. And the room was just as bare and there were children huddled up together on surfaces, single beds or cots or futons, and some of them were crying. And they were just so afraid. I, I mean, I could feel it. And they had to sleep in their clothes. Now, their clothes were soiled, a lot of them, and tight. The staff were wonderful. They gave them whatever clothes they could, whatever they had. But it was, you know, what I was put to sleep in. And I had this rush of memories of my mom putting the four of us to bed. We each had our beds, girls in one room, boys in the other. And she sat at our bed, you know, our bedside. And for any of the moms out there, that's the loving mom's role or, or dad's role. You sit at the bed and you tell stories and you snuggle with them and you put them in nice warm pajamas and you laugh and you give them hugs and kisses. And we as children don't realize how that's setting the foundation for us being confident mm-hmm. and knowing we're secure, we're safe. And in the morning, mom or dad will be there. And if we have a bad day and we don't do well on the test or somebody makes fun of us, we have that safe haven. And all of that came rushing to me, all those thoughts, which had never come to me in 30 plus years, as I stared at this scene. And as the staff were, they actually were nudging me out. I guess I was stuck in a time warp there. And And I remember them giving me a gentle nudge and I turned and said, can I bring some pajamas next time? And to this day, and I remember when I said it, I said to myself, what, how, where'd that come from? Because I thought it was, of all the memories I had, that was what stood out and that's what came out of my mouth. And I was so grateful that she said, that would be lovely. You know, no one ever thinks of pajamas. That would be great. So all week, all I could think about was pajamas in every size, every color, boys, girls, because I knew every week there would be a different group and I didn't want anyone to be left out. So that's when my job started to take a back seat for sure, because I was more concerned about disappointing these kids and disappointing my boss. So I went shopping and I returned and I started to read to the children. And when I finished, I told, asked them to stand up. I had some special surprise for them. And I pulled in my bag and I had some on the floor and some on a table. The staff were helping me. And I gave each child a pair of pajamas. I looked at the child and I found something I thought would fit. And halfway through, there was this little girl and she was she was just, she was so afraid. She was a mess. Her her shirt was was soiled and her pants were so short and her, sh- her sneakers they gave her were so big. Her ponytails were lopsided and she, like the rest of them hadn't said a word all night. She just looked stunned. And I tried to lean in and give her pajamas and she was very afraid of me. And she just, just shook her head. No, no, no. She wouldn't take them. And I kept trying and she, same reaction. She wouldn't have anything to do with them. She watched the other kids take their pajamas. She wanted to watch. And when it was just her with her staff member, I said, let me try one more time gently. And I took the pair of pajamas I had held for her. 
And I went over there and I knelt down and I tried to gently ask her again if she'd like to take her pajamas. And I, I finally had her touch them, how soft they are and that they're pink and you're pink in your clothes. And I know they'll fit you and you can keep them. Don't you want your pajamas? And that's when she looked at me and she could barely get the words out. But she said, what are these? What are pajamas? And that's, I mean, I just never, I didn't, I didn't know what to say. I was just thankful I was kneeling. I would have fallen over. And I, I remember saying to myself, stay calm, explain pajamas. And as I'm explaining them, the other half of my brain is going, you know, what in the world is happening that she, where yeah. am I? Yeah. Where is she? How are we not all in on caring for each other? This, this little girl, I'm explaining pajamas to her. And she did take them and the staff put them on. And then I saw her peek out to find me before I left. And she gave me this little smile and that was it. I was done. And, you know, just, I just, I was so ignorant. I was just, you know, and, and uh. I'm just so, so upset with myself for all these years. And then not knowing that this was true life for these kids. And I can't yeah. imagine what happened before that night that I got to meet them. Wow. You know, yeah. And even, you know, as I was reading that part of your book, I'm like, the fact that a child could not know what pajamas are, it just leads your mind to like, what's the existence? Like, what has this child lived? And like, it's almost like you couldn't, you wouldn't want to go there. Like, I don't know if I could go there. I don't think I could take knowing. Yeah. Right. I, I know because all these years you learn. And I learned and I wanted to learn because I wanted to do as much as I could. And I wanted mm -hmm. to have a very clear, as clear an understanding as I could about why they did what they did. Because for 20 years, you know, we read to and provide pajamas for kids up to the age of 18. And there are various things that happened through those years to various kids and not knowing I felt wouldn't give me what I needed to help them. Yeah. 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 I mean, ultimately, I think you have to go there. So as you're becoming, you know, more disenchanted with your job and kind of the corporate world, mm -hmm. and you're like leaning into this real life, this thing that's coming through you, like literally being birthed through you. And I love the part in your book where you talk about like searching for your purpose, like what is my purpose, right? And, you know, being guided by your partner to like ask the universe to trust, right? And just like mm -hmm. see what comes to you. Like, can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Sure. Nobody ever said the word purpose to me in my whole life. I didn't know that we have a purpose. I thought, you know, when they used that word, it was for people who were doing things to change the world, like Oprah Winfrey, you mentioned her, like, you know, Alexander Graham Bell, like Einstein, like Deepak Chopra, like all these people who made a contribution, you know, greater than, than most of us. They were the lucky ones. The rest of us were lucky if we had a job and, you know, we liked <laughs> right. it. So nobody ever taught, and I, I teach that to high school and college kids, and we talk about purpose, you know, and as well to, to people looking who are adults looking for purpose. So I didn't know it was a purpose, but part of the purpose is the whole pajamas and routine for these children who don't have the comfort at bedtime, don't have that security, who are missing even love. It's invisibly transported from our hands to the pajamas to the children. But in Growing Pajama Program, when people heard the story and the way we got 22 years later to over 7 million pajamas, 42 chapters, Incredible. thousands of you know companies and individuals growing even through the pandemic pajama program, there's another purpose of bringing people together on, mm -hmm. in a common cause. Yeah. So while the first few years I thought, oh, great, I found my purpose is to give children pajamas. It grew. It grew into to now helping people find their 
purpose. So I don't think our purpose is only on one level. Mm. When we find our purpose and we share it, we're changing each other and we're bonding with each other and we're contributing to each other, to our community, to the greater good. It's with anybody who's living their purpose. They are contributing to the world. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about a lot on this podcast about purpose because, you know, as we reach midlife, so many of us start questioning, like, is this it? Like, just like I did, like, is this it? Is this going to be the rest of my life? Like, what do I want for my next chapter? And inevitably, passion and purpose comes into the conversation, right? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. I've heard it described that men have a crisis of identity in midlife and women have a crisis of meaning where, and I'm sure this is not exclusively for men and women, but Mm -hmm. so many women have this sense of like, I want my life to be meaningful, right? I want to do something that makes a difference. And often like people get, feel a little bit stuck in that, like, but what is it? What is it? We're searching for our purpose. And one of the things that I talk about all the time is your purpose is inside you right? And your job is just to like, be quiet enough to listen, and you will find it and everything in your life to this point has led you to hear. And it's everything that you need to go forward. (laughs) You're right. Yeah. So was that your experience? Like, yes, I mean, I can't tell you how many times still once in a while now I say, can't believe I didn't know this 20 years earlier, how much more good could we have done if I had started 20 years earlier? But you're right, you're right. I had to learn the difference between no meaning and meaning. And I had to make a choice and we all do. And my choice was heartfelt 100%. But, and I talk about this in my book, I didn't have any money. I'm not a saver. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I caused a lot. I met a great guy who believed in me and and I had to take a risk by telling him that I was thinking about quitting my job to give children pajamas. And when I tried to tell that to a friend, she really shot me down and I wasn't prepared. I didn't have any answers. I thought, I don't know, because I thought I loved it and thought it was a great idea. She'd say, oh, can I help? But instead she said, are you crazy? Why would you do that? Give up everything you have. You know, how much do you have saved? Can you, can't you do this on the weekend? You're not really like saving their lives or giving them a house. I mean, that was like bullets to my heart. And it took me a while to trust to say it to anybody because I, I didn't have any answers. So I just felt obsessed. I couldn't get her out of my mind. I just couldn't not continue you know, 100% in the direction I was being pulled and fighting my brain who who was telling me, you know, how in the world are you going to do this? And you have a mortgage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love the way that you explain this journey because, you know, there's the sense of like, okay, I'm going to find my purpose and all of the lights are going to come on and the runway is going to be clear and it's going to be smooth sailing sailing from this (laughs) point on. Right. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I love what you just said. Like, I, you know, I didn't have a savings. You know, you said in the book, I wasn't well connected. I had no clue as to how this thing was going to roll out, but I had the passion for it. And you share the ups and downs of your journey. And I, you know, at one point in the book, you talk about, you know, be your own North star. Like you have to believe in your mission so deeply Mm -hmm. that you can kind of block out, like you said, your friend and any other people who come along and go like, what the hell are you doing? Right. And that's, I think, one of people's greatest fears, like as they embark on something new. And I know that was true for me. Like when I started Old Chicks No Shit, like I wouldn't put it on LinkedIn because I didn't want my former <laughs> corporate coworkers to know because they, I thought they're going to think I've lost my mind. Like I mm-hmm. left a good corporate job with an excellent paycheck and amazing perks and benefits to do what? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Me, Jennifer. I understand. (laughs) Yeah. And I was reading that part of your book and I was like, wow, this is, you know, even so much of our story resonated because even you talked about, you know, meeting your partner and your husband in your building. And that's exactly how I met my partner after my divorce was in my building. (laughs) 
Wow. We lived in the same building and he was stalking me. I didn't know that, but he ended oh. up in the gym always at the same time that I did. Wow. <laughs> so I had a, a good chuckle over that one. Um, but yeah, I just love the way that you shared the ups and downs of this journey. And like, you never clearly kind of had the very next step. It was just like, you just kept stepping and it was just like answers would appear. And like this sense of, you know, working through fear to get to faith and belief and trust in what was unfolding in front of you. That's the part that I found was so incredibly inspiring because no matter what path we're going to go on, whether it, you know, comes from the universe, from like whatever it is coming through us, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be easy. And there's still what I call the hashtag human parts, right? Where, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't know what to do next. We're feeling stuck. We're afraid. We're, you know, afraid of being judged or whatever. But I just, that part I just found so incredibly inspiring. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. Well, you have to remember, I'm so in awe of people who are leaving a job with a plan. Wow. (laughs) You know, I mean, that's in a perfect world. I should have done that. Or they're leaving for something that already exists. When I was handing pajamas out to children, have a plan and it didn't exist. And at face value, I was giving children pajamas. I wasn't starting a foundation to feed them. So I I doubted myself and the importance of what I was doing. But there was something in me that knew from the flashback of my mom giving us my mom, my mom at bedtime that it wasn't just pajamas. It wasn't just the material that they were putting on their bodies. There was something I prayed invisible that I was giving them and that everybody who helped me was giving them as we grew. And I've had many reasons to to know now that that's that they felt that you talk about, you know, having the ripple effect and like again, like when you, you know, you were talking about the, you know, the kid was going to the foster home and wanted the pajamas, like that piece of fabric became so meaningful for, that was home. Yes. That was love. That was comfort. The things that these children don't have, then that so many of us take for granted. Yeah. So, so incredible. So talk to me a little bit about this kind of faith over fear and, you know, like, how did you kind of keep stepping forward? Well, I couldn't go back. I couldn't, I couldn't lose that little girl. She was in my heart and in my head. And I saw her every day. And I heard her question every day. And when I went back, there were more children and more children. It was just an overwhelming obsession to keep going back because I was getting more from them, I thought, than they were getting from me. I was feeling loved and comforted and grounded. And they were feeling loved and comforted. And it was opposite of what I felt during the day. I felt that love and comfort when I was with my family, but I was on my own, living on my own. So I wasn't a child living with my family. I was an adult in the adult world that had very little of that from nine to five or from, you know, moment I woke to when I would appear at the shelter at seven o'clock. So that was the majority of my time just being, you know, robot in the end for work. So when I got there, I came alive and I knew that there was something in there that had me coming back. And, you know, I learned now, I know now that it was all because it was purpose. It was pure joy and it was what I was meant to do. And we all have that. We have to discover what that is. Some of us are lucky enough to know early on. When you find that, it's it's not work. You know, it wasn't work for me. It was where my life, 
It was where I was supposed to be all day, every day. And it was a real struggle for me to figure out how to switch the hours of how much I spent at work and how much I could spend with these kids until I knew I couldn't spend any more time at work. Yeah. And, you know, I've heard this talked about, and I talk about this a lot myself too, is like, you know, having something that's bigger than you to keep pulling you through those times when you really want to quit. Like, I don't even know on my journey, like, you know, I started my reinvention journey at the age of 50 and basically had to reinvent my entire life from like being divorced, unemployed, empty nester and bedridden with a stress-related illness. And like literally every title I thought I had in the world was stripped away from me. And I realized like, I was like, I did not know who I was, right? I didn't even know who I wanted. And as you know, old chicks know shit kind of um, grew on me along the way, like I had all the trials and tribulations and struggles and fears. And there were so many times where I said, okay, that's it. I quit. I'm not doing this. I just can't do it. I can't do it. And then I would be, you know, four hours later, I'd be like, yeah, you're not quitting. You can't. Like, because like I had this burning desire, I have a mission, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that was the thing. And like having that thing that, that is bigger than you to keep pulling you through, to keep pulling you through the human parts of, you know, the journey, that's not always easy. Right. Mm -hmm. I think it's so incredibly important. I think what helped me not give up in the worst frightening times, and those mostly were financial. Mm -hmm. I think I had grown to learn how many adults had turned their back on these kids, had disappointed them. And I didn't want to do that to them. I couldn't face being another person that didn't show up again. That would have scarred me for life. I had to figure out. And when I got married, I told my husband, because I was I was making a mess of our marriage. I was just ordering him around and I was just 24 seven about the pajamas and the children and getting to them. And, you know, months or a year before I had promised to share my life. And here I am, you know, turning it upside down and turning somebody else's life upside down financially and emotionally. And I just didn't want to be one of those people that turned their back. I just, I said to my husband one day, I promise you, I will work at McDonald's if I have to overnight. I will do whatever I have to do, but I cannot continue in the corporate world. I cannot not show up, you know, three times a week. I cannot stop putting money on the credit cards. And that was difficult for him to hear. And, you know, it wasn't a happy time because I was not budging. Yeah. And so, you know, this thing is pulling you forward. You eventually quit your job. It takes on a life of its own through, you know, press that you get and things like that, that leads you to Oprah's stage, right? Where, I mean, that's where the doors blow wide open. (laughs) Take us a, a little bit through what that was like, like even... You know, and this is the other part about your story that I love to talk about visualization and like visualizing that's a, it's a huge proponent in my own life. Right. And it's something I talk about all the time, but like having this vision of like being on Oprah and then there you are like on the Oprah stage, like take us a little bit through Mm. that was like. (laughs) I have my vision board right here. I'm looking at it right here. It's still on it. Well, I knew that there somewhere there would be a way. And I knew, I learned that if I trusted people and told them my story and asked for help, not just financially with pajamas, but for advice, legal advice, budget advice, connection advice. I knew there'd be a night one nice person somewhere along the line. And what turned out was there are lots of nice people (laughs) all over the place. And that's, you know, when I speak, I speak on purpose and the human connection. 
Because when you have your purpose and you share it, miracles happen. People resonated with my story of that little girl. And I never knew they would or how much they would. I never expected that people would rally and feel the way I did. You cannot let this continue. All you need are pajamas. All you need is this. All you need is somebody to represent this program in Delaware, in New Jersey, in you know Pennsylvania, in Phoenix. And it was an amazing time from the time I opened my mouth and trusted after that girlfriend shot me down and told, started telling people because I was at my wit's end. I couldn't do it alone. I didn't have any resources. I, I didn't have any microphone. I, I couldn't do it. So I started to tell people. And a few things happened along the way to Oprah that when they called and I was by myself and I got the call and the producer said, hi, this is so-and-so producer for the Oprah Winfrey show. Do you have a minute? And I read in my book, oh my gosh. I mean, it was surreal. It was surreal. And I, there wasn't anyone I could look at to, you know, motion. I'm talking to open, you know, and I was by myself and I was telling myself inside my head, stay calm, stay calm, answer the woman's questions. Don't get excited. Nothing's happening yet. Just answer the questions. And the other half was yelling and screaming, but don't you know, this is an Oprah show. This, a, this could change everything. So she asked questions and I answered them and I answered them like a human being, not like a crazy woman like a, you know, semi, semi smart woman. And they called several times asking more questions. And I finally asked, how did you hear about what I'm doing? And they said, people have been writing in. And I thought, thank you God for this big mouth I have, because that's what led people to find out about these children, about this simple need that is is bigger than we could ever think about, so much more than clothing and fabric. And they invited me onto the show. And, and you know a lot from the book. It was an amazing show. There was a revelation. There was a secret. There was a trick played on me. And there was, the, they aired the show three times because the audience reaction was very strong. And it was just, yes, a game changer big time. And I urge anybody to just go to YouTube and Google my name on Oprah or go to my website and watch because it was an amazing feat what they pulled off. Yeah, it's an amazing, incredible story. Like you guys go read the book or go Google it. Like seriously, <laughs> what I love about it is like for me, the whole, your whole story and especially that part, just get speaking to me about the power of possibility, right? And allowing mm -hmm. ourselves to, to keep stepping into possibility. And I think there's one section in the book and I forget exactly what the quote is, but you talk about the power of making a decision, right? To like have mm -hmm. the thing. Can you tell me a little bit about like, like what that is and, and yes. how that well, it dovetails into the one thing I wanted to say about the visualizing. My husband is very spiritual. And he said to me, what would change things? And I said, you know, something like being on Oprah show. And he said, okay, you're going to visualize it. Now, I had never done that. I didn't know what a visual, visualization board is. A vision board is. I didn't know about that many spiritual things, magic. I just thought there must be something behind the scenes of human you know, humanness. And so he would take me to the park bench and tell me to close my eyes and see myself on Oprah. And I was reluctant. I laughed, but he kept at it. And I started to do it, started to do it. So we have to make decisions and we have to make decisions quickly and we have to make them from our heart. And usually the first thing we say, like I said, being on Oprah show, 
And I could have said being in the New York Times. I could have said, you know, anything. But I made the decision and he took it as that's my decision. And he took it one step further. And every time I made a decision, I need to get a major children's clothing manufacturer on board. I need to get a book company that gets it on board. I need to to just go wherever I need to, to go. And there's power in it from the universe. It, it sort yeah. of takes your intention and says, okay, you feel it so strongly. You're attracting it and here you go. And I know to some people starting out on the spiritual journey or who are considering taking a jump are afraid of all the same things I was afraid of. I mean, really, really afraid. I don't want anyone to think that I had a plan or I had money. I had neither. I had a, an idea and I had an experience. And it really is. The universe really is your partner. I mean, yeah. I, I can't say it enough. And you know it because I can tell. Oh, yeah. No, I, yeah, I live, breathe <laughs> and teach yeah, this stuff. Right? And I love, you know, how you describe in the book, like shaking your fist up at the universe going, I want whatever it was, yes. and it would appear, yes. right? Yeah. And, and I think that's the thing, like the making the decision being committed to, and like speaking it into existence, like visualizing it into existence. Again, it was just a constant reminder for me, your whole book just was so inspiring because it was like stepping into possibility over and over. I mean, you know, it seems like a long way from, you know, your first experience to, you know, a little girl who wouldn't take pajamas to the Oprah show. And that to me is the beauty of it. Like it, that, that journey, like, and, you know, you covered that in a relatively short space of time ish, right. Yeah. Many yeah. bumps in the, along the way, but yeah. anything is possible. Yes. Anything that you want, that you feel that you feel strongly about it. And in some way, if it's helping the greater good, mm. every and, and there's really very little that doesn't help the good, unless you're doing yeah. it for your own, you know, yeah, only and you know you're doing it just for yourself. But most things we want to do are good if it's coming from our heart and it's our mm -hmm. purpose. Mm -hmm. And when we share it, we're giving other people hope and support and encouragement to trust themselves. Mm -hmm. And we link together this, like you and I are linked because we took a chance and we're excited about how it turned out and we share it. And that gives us energy and, and that's invisible to an invisible way for other people listening to you and hear your story and now hear us talking. Maybe I can do it. You can do it. Yeah. You can do it. We all can do it. And when you're on purpose, it's no doubt for the greater good oh, in the end. I have goosebumps. I have goosebumps everywhere. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that is the reason why I started this podcast is because when I was like, you know, honestly, I was like, I was at the age of 50 and I was like, okay, my life is over until I finally <laughs> like one day woke up and went, wait a minute, you've got like 30 <laughs> years or more ahead of you. Are you really just going to like sit around and wait for the end? Like, come right. on. Right. And you know, but leaning into that possibility. And this is why I started the podcast, because I was stuck for a very long time. And sharing stories like yours and all the other stories I share where people, you know, have done absolutely incredible things. Like, I want to saturate the world and especially for midlife women, because the cultural narrative tells us, you know, after 50, you're kind of on the downhill slope to old age oblivion, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just not true. It's just not true. And it's like, and, you know, if we can see ourselves as powerful beings, if we can see ourselves as creators, if we can see possibility for ourselves, then we can accomplish incredible things. And how much do we know? We know so much at this stage, just like the name of your podcast. I mean, we, I don't think I could have done this at 22. Right, right. And I firmly believe that we come to the places we come to at the time we come to it, because that is the perfect time. 
Mm -hmm. So if you never had the inkling when you were 22, you weren't meant to have it at 22. You know, for you, it happened in your late 30s, right? For me, it happened at 50. But it could, you know, I interviewed a woman the other day who was 75 and just started her second business. I'm like, that's when it occurred for her, right? And that's when everything lines up. Yeah, it is the perfect time. Yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. So we have to stop berating ourselves. It took me a long time to, to stop punishing myself for not knowing earlier because, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So what does your spiritual practice look like now? Well, I have my vision board with me all the time and I meditate every morning and I visualize every morning and I write my goals every morning. Mm. And now I am not the executive director of pajama program. After 20 years, I wanted to just be the founder and I wanted to teach and speak and inspire people and, you know, make that my business. My So I have third chapter here and write my book because I tried to write it while I was running pajama program day in, day out. And I couldn't, I had no time and I couldn't really focus. So I wanted to write the book, which I was afraid when publisher said it's coming out in the pandemic. But then I really did realize, I hope that people who are looking for purpose because of the pandemic will find it a timely read. And it happened that way. So I, I thank, thank God. And again, timing, you know, and yeah. intending that the book, when I wrote it, will serve the right people at the right time. It happened, you know, it happened. Yeah. So if there's somebody in my audience listening right now, who's like, okay, I'm feeling unfulfilled. I want meaning in my life. How do you counsel people to kind of get started and figuring out what that is, what the path looks like? Well, I'm always happy to do a complimentary call. Anybody can call me and we can talk for as long as you want and talk it out. But also you can go to my website, which is genevievepituro.com. There you can contact me and email me and you can go to my blog. And there's a blog there. I think it's called the four purpose steps or whatever. And I wrote it a few months ago because I held my do seminars and things for people who want to find their purpose. And I wrote it up after one of those seminars. And it's an exercise for 90 minutes. And give yourself 90 minutes of alone time. And I say, you can have a glass of wine with you. You can have a cup of coffee, whatever you want, just be alone and paper and pen, no computer. And I take you through 90 minutes of an exercise. And if you can give yourself that time alone, you will come away with, Things you never thought you were drawn to Amazing. and have an interest in, let alone a passion. Amazing. So we'll make sure that we put all of that in the show notes. So for easy access for anybody listening and along with your website and to everybody listening again, I'm going to say this one last time, pick up this book, read it. Oh. It is so ridiculously inspiring. Like it kind of lit, lit a fire in me you know, over the last week that I've been reading it. It just lit a fire in me again, because it's again, you, you get in the hard parts and you're slugging it out. You know what I mean? And then I read your book and I was like, oh, possibility, just keep focused, like keep focused on my mission. Right. And that like, again, just go read the book, you know the faith, the belief, you know, the perseverance, asking the universe for help, trusting. It's such an amazing story with such amazing lessons. And I love how you kind of encapsulate all the lessons at the end of each chapter, just to kind of really drive drive it home. I hope you felt like you weren't alone because I want people to to feel they're not alone because I felt alone. And I think people feel alone when they're, when they've made a major change in their maybe rethinking that. <laughs> well, it's so true because that was me. I felt very alone. I mean, my whole network had been people who are, you know, in the corporate world and I didn't have anybody who was doing anything different. Like I'd never seen it modeled. So I was kind of plugging my way forward. Right. But it did feel very lonely. And you're mm-hmm. exactly right. Reading your book was like, oh yeah, look, there's somebody who's like, again, showing the way, like, you know, and there's, 
other people out there who are all doing the same thing. And again, that's why I do the work that I do is because I want people to know that it's possible and everybody's at various different stages of their journey, Mm -hmm. but anything that you want is possible. Excellent. That's great. You are doing such a service, such a service to so many people who, especially now, Jennifer, who are seriously considering a life change because of the the drama and the emotion and maybe the loss they have experienced in the last couple of years. And you're giving them, you know, you're shining a light on them and you're telling them it's okay. And you're giving them yourself, you're serving yourself up as an example. Yeah. And, you know, sharing stories like yours, which is, like I said, a tremendous example of the possibility of, you know, tuning in, you know, listening to that internal nudge, even when it doesn't quite make sense mm-hmm. to you, like you giving up a very lucrative, you know, job in TV marketing to do what? <laughs> right? Like in following, you trusting enough to follow that inner nudge, because it will never steer you wrong. Right? Like your soul right. is never going to take you right. in the wrong direction. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much for writing the book. Thank you for sharing your story with us today and with our listeners. I honestly can't wait for this one to come out because I just think so many people are going to be inspired by your story and the work that you do. Mm -hmm. I hope so. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for this platform that you're giving so many of us. It really is like my most favorite thing to do is to talk to amazing people like you and then be able to share that, like have these incredible conversations and then be able to share that with other people. Like there is no better thing in my, in my mind. <laughs> oh, I can, I know I can see your enthusiasm. I can hear your passion and it's, it's so great. It's, it's a great conversation. So thank you. Thank you again for spending this time with us. And for those of you who are listening, I'm going to put the link to the book and all of um, what we talked about in terms of Genevieve's website and the, ex- the link to the exercise in the show notes. Go check it out. And until next time. And if you like what you heard today, I would love it if you would leave us a rating or a review or even better yet, pass this along to a friend who you think might get something out of it. So until next time. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in.